If you have your Bibles, I invite you to open them, turn to 1 Samuel chapter 30. 1 Samuel chapter 30, we are continuing in our unexpected sermon series. 1 Samuel chapter 30, as we've gone through this book, we're coming uh, near the end, just a couple weeks left of, uh, of 1 Samuel. Uh, unexpected pain is what I want to talk to you about this morning. Just to ease it a little bit on this beautiful day, we brought the beach to you so that uh, you can feel comfortable here this morning. Uh, we're looking forward to a great VBS for the kids this week. And please, if you're not uh, here uh, bringing kids or ministering to kids, then please pray uh, for the VBS this week that God will move and touch children and give volunteers and workers the strength that they need as they come out, many of you coming out after a hard day of work and then coming and ministering to children, which also takes a lot of work and energy. And we are grateful for all that you do to make that happen, to help the kings pull that off and Mount Hope to bring that about. Uh, Speaking of kids, let me ask a question of you. How many of you have ever brought a child to the pediatrician when they had to get shots? Let me see your hand. How many of you have been through this wonderful experience of bringing a child to a pediatrician when they have to get shots? And specifically, I'm thinking this morning about bringing a child to a pediatrician when they have to get shots before they're old enough to have any idea what is about to happen to them. Right? To, to, so, you, so you're bringing them. I mean, you've got, if it's your first child or, you know, you're bringing them and everything's great and lovely and they do all the things that they normally do. They weigh them. They measure their head and measure whatever they got to measure. And, uh, and then the way our office does it, the doctor comes out and the nurse comes in. I think this is very smart on behalf of the doctor not to have the doctor give the shots, right? The nurses are like, we'll take, the, we'll take one for the team, Right? But uh, the nurse comes in, and, and our pediatricians are great. They are, you know, the, the nurses are so good and so quick. I mean, they will deliver. I, I think they do like six shots in three seconds. They're like, boom, 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 and like, it's over. But in that moment, I remember taking my kids for the first time. In that moment, and you parents know this, when you take your kids, when, you know, they first give them the shot, there's like maybe this second of what just happened. <laughs> And then, I don't know, terror, screaming, however you want to describe it. And then that look as they look at you, say, what did you just allow to happen to me? And you just feel helpless because, you know, you know it's going to help. You know it's needed. You know it's important. But it's something that hurts. I don't like shots. I hate getting shots. I'll admit it. So I think it's even, I hate even more when my kids have to get them and I have to watch them walk through it and, and all of that. Uh, so it's unexpected pain that comes into a person's life. It's shots maybe for a baby that doesn't know what's going to happen, but it happens with all of us in life. If you are a human living on the planet Earth, and I assume most of us are, At some point, you will experience pain, and probably at some point, you will experience an unexpected pain in your life. It may seem like that for some people, an inordinate amount of pain falls into their life, and you just look at them, and maybe it's you or someone you know, and you just look and you say, wow, you know, what's going on? It's just just one thing after another after another. There may be other people in your life, and you just look and you say, I don't know if they've ever had a bad day. 
and it just seems like everything goes great for them. But it doesn't matter on what end of the scale you fall. I promise you, at some point in your life, at some point, you will experience pain. If nothing more, the fact that we all, at some point, leave this world, you will experience the pain of losing a loved one. You will experience the pain of maybe going through your own sickness, illness, death. At some point, you can't avoid it. We will all experience pain. Some of it will be unexpected. So how do you respond when unexpected pain comes into your life? How do you respond when something happens that you didn't see coming and it hits you and everything seems to be falling apart? How do you respond when everything around you seems to be crumbling? What is it the way that you respond? I think if we look at two responses on either end of the, of the spectrum, one response is some people, when unexpected pain comes into their life, will get angry. And there will be a anger that rises up, a bitterness, a revenge, an anger that comes about. On another end of the spectrum, perhaps all the way down, another response is some people will fall into a place of despair, depression, just disconnect almost with all of life around. And then somewhere in the middle is this spectrum of emotions that many of us fall into between anger and despair. But when unexpected pain comes into your life, how do you want to respond? If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you call yourself a Christian and you're here this morning, how should we respond when pain comes into our life? The passage this morning deals with unexpected pain. It's unexpected pain that a group of men experience and how they experience it and how one man in particular named David responds can be very instructive to how we are called to respond when pain comes into our life as well. It's in 1 Samuel chapter 30 is the story. And I want to start with 1 Samuel chapter 30 and verse 1. And the verse starts out by saying this, Now David reached Ziklag on the third day. We're going to stop right there. There's a whole bunch of questions that come about in just that short sentence that you need a little background for. Now David reached Ziklag on the third day. Why Ziklag? What's going on there? What's going on on the third day? Third day from what? So let me give you just a little bit of background to what's going on in this story right here. The story actually starts in chapter 27, goes to 29, and then comes to chapter 30 of what's going on in David's life at this moment. In this part of 1 Samuel, it's a little bit like a modern TV drama or, or, or a movie where it's flashing from one scene to another that are happening concurrently. So it's, there, there, there's the, the author is going from what's happening in David's life and Saul's life and telling us what's happening there. So chapter 28, which I'll be talking about next week, is a strange episode in the life of King Saul. Uh, and that's in there. And if, if the Bible was written in comic book form, you would see a big uh, thought bubble that says, meanwhile, this is what's going on in David's life at the same time. And so this story of David goes from 27, 29, and 30. And then in chapter 28, you have a strange story of Saul and a witch 
which we will talk about uh, next week. Uh, but David, here's what's going on. At the end of chapter 26, where we left off last week, again, if we were in comic book genre, we would say when last we left our hero. The end of chapter 26, he, was, uh, he had just spared Saul's life for the second time. Again, King Saul pursuing him for no good reason other than he's envious and jealous of David. David spares his life for the second time when Saul was at a safe distance, David lets him know, hey, Saul, could have killed you, but I didn't. I mean you no harm. Saul basically says, that's great, you're a better man than me, you know, but David doesn't believe that Saul's going to stop pursuing him. So at the end of chapter 26, it says Saul goes his way and David goes his way. David has to get away from Saul, so he goes once again to the place where he doesn't believe Saul will come after him. He goes to the enemy's camp, to the Philistines, who are a natural enemy of the nation of Israel. He goes there because he knows that Saul won't pursue him there, and Saul doesn't. He gets to the Philistine camp, and he commits himself to the service of a king there, and the king's name is Achish. And he tells Achish that he will serve him. And what Achish does is he gives him a land called Ziklag. And in Ziklag, David and his 600 men, their wives, their children, their animals live there. And for the next year, what David does to prove his loyalty to the Philistines and to prove that he is not... Uh, a traitor, or he is not, in a sense, um, you know, tricking them. He goes out and takes his men out into battle. He goes out into battle against people in the land who were enemies of Israel, ancient enemies, people like the Amalekites. But then when he comes back, the king Achish asks him, where have you been? What's the report? An interesting ha thing happens at this point that we don't have a whole lot of time to go into exploring this morning. But David responds and says that he has been out raiding Israel, raiding the Philistines' enemies, raiding the Jewish territories. Of course, he wasn't. He lies to the king. There's no way around that. We are not giving any explanation of why David lies or why it doesn't seem that God really punishes him for lying in this case or deceiving Achish? Was it a higher purpose involved? Uh, we're just not told a whole lot. But David, uh, what he does is he, he basically, he's very coy, deceptive. Uh, not that the people he was raiding weren't enemies of the Philistines. They were. It's not like Achish would have been upset if he killed the Amalekites. He doesn't care. Just you know, bring back plunder and, and help us with our enemies. But he, but he couches it in such a way that makes him look uh, favorable in the eyes of Achish. And this uh, works to garner favor with the king because eventually the king trusted him so much after about one year in Ziklag, it finally happened where the king was going out to march into war against Israel and he tells David and his 600 men to come with them. So David, an Israelite, his 600 men who also are Israelites, the king is saying, now you've proven your worth to me. You've proven your loyalty to me. Now you're going to fight with me in battle against your own people. I don't know 
what's running through the minds of David and his men right now. Perhaps this was their plan all along. Perhaps they go into battle and they thought, we're going to have a chance to go into battle. When we do, we are going to turn on the Philistines and we're going to kill them and we're going to prove our loyalty once again to our fellow brethren and we will turn on them in battle. Maybe that's their strategy. Or maybe this is what they've been dreading all along and thought one day they're going to ask us to fight the Israelites and what are we going to do at that moment? I don't know what they're thinking, but all I know is they are called upon to fight. Achish is for it, but his commanders are not. The troops parade in front of the commanders to show they are ready. And in that parade comes the Hebrews, David, his men. Philistine commanders say, what's going on? These are the people we're going out to fight. You can't have them in the army with us. And Achish says, no, no, they have proved their loyalty to me. They're coming. And the commanders say, no way. said, even if they were out killing Israelites, they will turn on us in battle and that will gain the, that will gain their favor back into their fellow brothers. We won't go and fight with them. You cannot, king, take them out to battle. The king relents. Seems like he, he, he uh, reluctantly relents. He says, David, you can't come. You, your 600 men, go back to Ziklag. And so that's what he does, and that's what brings us to 1 Samuel chapter 30, verse 1, that says, now David reached Ziklag on the third day. It was about a 60-mile march from where King Achish and the troops were gathered back to Ziklag. They covered it in a little over two days. They reached it on the third day. I don't know how long it would take you to cover 60 miles on foot. Um, I don't think I'd even arrive on the third day. I'm not sure I'd arrive on the third week. (laughs) They were moving at a fairly brisk pace to cover 60 miles with all their gear, with all whatever else they have with them, prepared for battle to cover 60 miles in a couple days and get there on the third day. They were moving at a fairly brisk pace. And here's what happened. 1 Samuel chapter 30, verse 1. David and his men reached Ziklag on the third day. Now I'm going to jump down to verse 3. I'll come back to 2. And it says, When David and his men came to Ziklag, they found it destroyed by fire, and their wives and sons and daughters taken captive. So David and his men wept aloud until they had no strength left to weep. David's two wives had been captured, Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. David was greatly distressed because the men were talking of stoning him. Each one was bitter in spirit because of his sons and daughters, But David found strength in the Lord his God. Now imagine you're one of the men. You've just kept up a brisk pace for 60 miles on a journey. We don't know how much ground they covered on each day, but it seems like on the third day it was a little quicker because it didn't take them the whole day. Imagine you're a few miles off from Ziklag. Not your home, but the place you've been living for the last year. The place where your family is. The place where your children. The place where your wife is. 
They're at Ziklag. They are practically, they start to get closer. And a few miles off, maybe they see smoke coming from the city. So even though you're tired from the previous two days, you quicken your pace even more. You're practically sprinting now with all kinds of thoughts running through your mind. Is it an accident? Probably not. You know better. How widespread? Thoughts of your wife, your children, thoughts of maybe on yourself saying, how could we be so dumb to leave, to leave your, the wives, the women and children unprotected? The desire to protect and see them causes them to run even faster. Finally, they reach the village and find it destroyed by fire, but no bodies are found. At this point, perhaps a brief feeling of relief that does not look, because it doesn't look like they killed the women and children, but that relief only lasts for a second, right? Because they know if they're alive, it's for one of three reasons. They're either alive to be abused, sold into slavery, or used as bargaining chips. None of them pleasant. You start to wonder who did this? Who took them? And what are they doing to my wife and children right this very minute? That's what David and his troops came back to. Imagine the emotions weighing on them. I mean, look at what they've just experienced in the last few days. They had to march 60 miles to King Achish in the battle wondering emotionally, probably when they left their family, never knowing if they were going to come back, probably saying their final goodbyes to their family, thinking they may die on the battlefield. All of a sudden, they find out they're not going to fight a battle, and they're sent home. There had to be this huge emotional roller coaster they're on, but they march 60 miles, can't wait to see their wife, their children. Those of you who have been on extended trips away from your family, you can imagine what they're feeling. They're coming back. They're going to see their wife. They're going to see their children. They're coming back. They're safe. They're excited, and yet they come back, and they find everything they own has been taken or destroyed or burned, and everyone they Love is gone. Unexpected pain. As they sit there with their village smoldering among the ashes, they do what every person would do in this situation. They do what you would do. They do what I would do. They weep. They grieve. They weep loud and long until, as the Bible says, all their strength is no more. Perhaps you and your life at some point have had a pain like that and you have wept until you couldn't cry anymore. You have wept until all of your tears are gone and this is what these men who are trained for battle went out and fought battles and wars and now they are weeping until they cannot weep anymore. They're filled with questions. What happened? Who did this? What are they doing to my wife and children right now? Why couldn't I protect them? Why am I even here? Eventually, their thoughts turn to David and their anger. This one whom they followed becomes the one who is responsible for the loss of everything in their life, and they talk of killing him. But David found strength in the Lord his God is what verse 6 says. But David strengthened himself 
in the Lord. David and his men experienced unexpected pain of an almost unimaginable level. His men wanted to kill him. David found his strength in the Lord. David goes to the Lord and asks the Lord if he should pursue those who took their families. But his men talk of killing them, killing him. What do you do when unimaginable and unexpected pain comes into your life? Granted, this situation is extreme, but pain is unavoidable. What do you do when unexpected pain comes into your life? How should a Christian respond in times of such pain? Well, if you're like most people, you first grieve. You weep. Grief is perfectly appropriate of an emotional response at this time. In fact, not grieving would seem extremely inappropriate. God created us with the ability to weep and to grieve over certain situations. In times of pain, I think some Christians might feel they need to keep up appearances. Some Christians might feel they need to put on a happy face, look on the bright side, talk with cliches that portray to people a strength and even a joy that seems unhuman. Christians might feel, well, this is an opportunity to show people how God can help them in times of pain and how different it is being a Christian. All true, but at times they deny all that they are feeling on the inside and their outward appearance does not reflect the inward reality. Some Christians will try to appear as if they have it all together when internally everything is falling apart. That is not what David and his men did. That is not what Jesus did when his friend Lazarus died. He, the Bible says Jesus wept, weeping, grieving over a pain in our lives is perfectly appropriate. It's the right response in this moment. When pain comes, we grieve and we weep. We weep because of the pain that we feel on the inside. We weep because of pain caused to other people. We weep because of the brokenness of God's world that we live in where such unexpected pain is a reality. We weep because we have loved. We weep because it's appropriate and right. These soldiers were suddenly reduced to pieces and they wept until they had no more strength. But the question is, What do you do after you grieve? What do you do after you weep? For David's men, their next thought turned to anger. And they were looking for someone to blame and take their anger out on. They did not know who did this, but probably, and they probably might never find out, so their anger turned to David. In times of unexpected pain, after we grieve, temptation can be to turn down a lane of anger or a lane of despair. Everything David's men put their hope in was gone, and they were angry about it. But David strengthened himself in the Lord. When you find yourself in a place of unexpected pain, where do you strengthen yourself? Think about it in your life. In times in your life where you have experienced pain, where have you gone to find strength? I think sometimes we either go to things or to people. Uh, Things, his men, all their things had been taken from them. And sometimes we will go to the things of this world to try and find peace. 
For some people, it might be the home that you live in. It might be the car that you drive. It could be a hobby. It could be a garden. It could be sports, a vacation spot. It could be the beach on a summer day or a phone or a computer or an iPad. There are no shortage of things in our life where we run to and try and find some degree of peace, try and find something to ease our pain. They're all around us, but they're things and they can be quickly gone. These men had all their possessions except that which they carried taken away from them. And so finding peace in things can be futile. Other people will look to people in their lives in order to find strength. They look to their friends, their family, their children, their parents, a sister, a brother. We can look to people to give us strength, but there's two problems with that. One is we put such a weight on other people that they're not really designed to carry it, and they don't want to be around us because we're putting so much weight on them to give us peace and to carry our pain. And all of a sudden, those places and those people that we relied on at some point may not be there. People are there for much, through much in our lives, but if we rely on them to totally take us through all of our pain, we can find ourselves in a place of loss and disappointment. When things are gone and people are not around, where will you find your strength? David strengthened himself in the Lord. How is it that David could find his strength in the Lord when everyone else around him was turning to despair or anger? How can you and I make sure that our strength is in the Lord and not something else when the time comes? The answer is because David always had faith in God, always had faith that God was leading him, and it wasn't just in the times of trouble that David trusted in the Lord. It was throughout his entire life and actions. We know this because of what happens next. Let me tell you the story that happens next. David goes to the Lord. He says, God, should I pursue the people that did this to us? The Lord answers and says, yes, pursue them. You will overtake them. That's all he has. He doesn't even know where to go or who did it, but he suspects they're probably south because much of the enemies they went out and fought were to the south. And he suspects that one of the enemies they had raided probably knew that they were getting called to war, they timed it right, and they raided their village. And so he heads south, but doesn't know where he's going. He takes 600 men with him. Imagine, they're already tired, 60-mile march, wept until they have no strength. All right, David, we'll go pick up your weapons, pick up your gear, we go. On the way, they meet a, a man who's sick and dying. He's an Egyptian. Well, they, they, the Egyptians they didn't fight against. They know Egyptians didn't really take. It would be very odd for the Egyptians to take him, but they helped the man. They nurse him back to health. They ask him his story. He says, uh, I was a slave of the Amalekites. I got sick, and they left me here to die. And he finds out that he says, but the Amalekites are the ones that took your wife and children. And I can show you where they are if you promise not to kill me. David and his men agree, we won't kill you. Take us to the people that took our wife and children. They start running the direction the Amalekites, uh, the, the Egyptian told them to go. They reach a, a large ravine. 
and 200 of the men can't go on. The 200 of the men, it's been too much. 60 miles one way, 60 miles the other way, weeping until we have no strength, now pursuing the uh, Amalekites. They don't have any strength left. 200 of them say, we're exhausted, David, and we cannot go on. David says, fine. You guys stay with the supplies. The rest of you 400 guys come with me. 400 men and David continue to pursue the Amalekites. They find them. They find them and they attack them. And the Bible says that they attack them for 24 hours. They fight against the Amalekites. 60-mile journey, 60 miles back, pursuing them, weeping until they have no strength, fighting for 24 hours. But they prevail. Not only do they prevail, every one of their wives and children are recovered. Every one of their possessions is recovered. In fact, they plunder the Amalekites and get their possessions. They win a great victory, and they start heading back. They have their families back. They have the plunder. They have the supplies. They won a great battle. They have their lives Emotional roller coaster. They come back and they meet back up with the other 200. And then the guys, the 400 that went, or at least some of them, say to the 200, Look, you can have your wives and you can have your children, but that's it. The plunder is ours. You don't get anything else. And you can imagine why they said that, right? Fair is fair. Look, you guys stayed back. We were exhausted. We were tired. Well, you don't think we were tired? Of course we were tired, but we kept going. We put our lives on the line, fought in battle for 24 hours while you guys sat here on a hill recovering. No way. That's it. Your wives and your children, and that's it. You don't get any of the plunder. That's what the men were saying. But David, who also had a different view when extreme pain entered his life, also had a different view when extreme blessing entered his life. Because in David, David says in chapter 30, and you look down in chapter 30, verse 23, this is what David says. David replied, No, my brothers, you must not do that with what the Lord has given us. He has protected us and handed us over and handed uh, and handed over to us the forces that came against us. Who will listen to what you say? The share of the man who stayed with the supplies is to be the same as that of him who went down to the battle. All will share alike. David had a different perspective. Why? Because he says, "No, my brothers, you must not do that with what the Lord." has given to us. Now, if you were one of those soldiers, you might have a different perspective of it. What the Lord has given to us. We just marched 60 miles one way, 60 miles the other way. Our wives and children were stolen. They were, they, they were, it was burned. We wept until we had no strength. We marched and just luckily fell upon some Egyptian guy who told us where they were. We fought for 24 hours. What do you mean what the Lord has given to us? We brought this stuff about. But if you think that you brought about the victory 
then you will have no place to run to in your time of pain. And if you think that the pain, in times of pain, God has abandoned you, then when you have times of victory, you'll look to your own hand as bringing it about. The reason David had a different perspective as his men is because he viewed all of his life as in God's hands. Whether it was a great victory or extreme pain, what he knew is that he could run to God and he could thank God in those times in his life. David fought hard. He was no doubt tired, but he attributed the victory to the Lord. The men believed they had earned the plunder. David believed it had been given to them by the Lord. Neither in their time of trial nor in their time of victory did the men with David look to the Lord. In both his time of great pain and in his time of great victory, David looked to the Lord. One informs the other. There's a very different perspective, and it changes how you view every part of your life. If I brought about a, a victory by my own hand, then when I lose it, I get angry or I get even, or I get out. I strike out, or I, or, or I despair. If I brought it through my own strength, then it's mine, and I don't have to give it to anyone else. If I brought it through my own strength, then I have to fear losing it, and I have to do everything I can to protect all that I have. But if the Lord has given me every blessing in my life, and if the Lord has given me every person in my life, then when times of unexpected pain come, even extreme unexpected pain, then I will look to him for my strength, and I will look to him to be my rock. Finding strength in the Lord in a time of unexpected pain is a direct result of living a life that expects that God is always acting and working out his plan. Finding strength in the Lord in a time of unexpected pain is a direct result of living a life that expects that God is always acting and working out his plan. Working hard doesn't mean the victory came about by your own strength. And experiencing pain doesn't mean that God has abandoned you. Both are opportunities to trust in the Lord and see his work in your life. Both whether you experience extreme pain or you experience extreme blessing, both are chances and opportunities to see God at work. If you blame yourself when pain comes your way, then you will be tempted to take all the credit when victory comes your way. And you will miss God. In a time of blessing and victory, when things are going well, if you attribute it and credit to your own hand and leave God out of it, then in your pain you will also look to your own hand and you will miss God. A faith in God through times of great abundance and through times of great pain is a real faith in God. Jesus did that. He modeled it for us. When Jesus was on this earth and great miracles would come, he'd always point to his father. When great difficulties would come, he'd always turn to his father. And in your life and in my life, pain will come, blessings will come. And where will you turn? Who will you attribute the blessings to? Where will you find your strength in your time of pain? Some things will come in your life and they'll be unexpected and uncontrollable by you or by me. 
illness comes, sickness comes, things you wish you could change. I'm sure David, pulling into Ziklag, thought, I should have done something different. Maybe I could have left some men. Maybe we could have hid the, 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 the wives and the children. Maybe, maybe all these maybes and what, if, what ifs. But the truth is, there's nothing he could have done. There's times in your life when you'll say, what if, what if I had exercised a little more? Or what if I had eaten a little better? Or what if, what if I had gone for the test a little sooner? Maybe I wouldn't be in the situation I am. Or a loved one is faced with a diagnosis that's difficult. Alzheimer's, dementia, cancer. And all of a sudden this strikes and it's unexpected pain and it comes into your life and it feels out of your control. And when in that moment and where in that moment do you turn for strength? If you've been walking with the Lord all along, seeing his hand in the blessings he has given you and in the good times he has given you with that loved one, then in that moment you turn to the Lord for your strength. You turn to him instead of turning to anger and instead of turning to despair. After you grieve, will you turn to anger or despair or turn to God? The way you can be sure that you will turn to God is by having a faith that sees him as living and active in every part of your life all the time. If you approach life in such a way that things are brought about by your own hand, then you will only have your own hand to look to in times of unexpected pain. But if you approach life believing that God is in charge, then when unexpected pain comes, you will look to God in that time of unexpected pain. David saw God everywhere in his life. He saw him when he defeated Goliath. He saw him spare his life from Saul's spear. He saw him provide victory in battle. Everything was from God's hand. So when pain came into his life, who, where was he going to turn? Of course, he's going to turn to the Lord. And if you're here this morning, as we close out this message today, maybe you're in one of two places. Maybe you're in a place of unexpected joy and blessing. Maybe things are going great in your life and you've just experienced a great victory. And my challenge to you is how do you turn that blessing into worship and praise of God and to recognize that that has been received from God? But maybe you're in a place of great pain. Maybe you're in a place where you have experienced or you're about to experience something that's painful and hard and you are not looking forward to it and you're looking, where do I go for my refuge? Where do I go for my strength? David strengthened himself in the Lord. I challenge you this morning. Don't get angry. Don't fall into despair. Turn to the Lord. Turn to the Lord and find your strength there. Because when David did, the Lord spoke, he answered, he led him, he directed him, and I believe the Lord will do the same thing for you. That as you strengthen yourself in the Lord, grieve, yes, weep, absolutely, 
Those things are, those things are in us. Those things are there. That, that's part of us being created in the image of God himself that weeps over pain and sin. Not, it is not something we should deny within ourselves. But after the weeping and after the grieving, I encourage you not to turn to anger, not to turn to despair, but to turn to the Lord and strengthen yourself there. The music team is going to come back, and I want to pray for you this morning and ask you to, at this moment, search your heart. And if you and your heart have, are in a place, that place of unexpected pain has maybe fallen into your life, and perhaps you came in here this morning, maybe you were angry at God. Maybe you were angry at someone else. Maybe you were just angry at life because why, why, why did this happen to you? Unexpected pain comes to all of us in our lives. Maybe it came to you and maybe it came knocking at your door this week or maybe it will come knocking this week. What I know is that if you will turn to God and find your strength there that He will not abandon you. Father, I just come before you this morning. We come before you. Lord, and I thank you for your word that you have given to us that shows us the victories and the flaws of men and women who follow you. I look at a man like David and and see the great victories in his life, but also the temptations he faced and Lord, his shortfalls. And so this morning, Lord, as we hear the story and your word that you've given to us about a great pain that fell into David and his men's lives, there's people in this room this morning that are carrying a heavy burden and that have experienced great pain and some of it extremely unexpected pain. Lord, I just ask that you would be faithful to your word that says you are close to the brokenhearted. Father, I ask that this morning you would do for the men and women in this room that are in the midst of a time of pain, that you would do for them what you did for David, that they would hear your voice, that they would know your presence, that we would be humble enough to turn to you and look not to our own hand, but look to you for strength. Look to you for what you would have us do believing and knowing that you have not abandoned us and it's your plan working out in our lives that you're faithful to your word that says you who began a good work in us will be faithful to complete it. To be faithful to your word that says all things work together for the good who love God and are called according to his purpose. Lord, I pray for the man and the woman in here walking through that time of unexpected pain. Lord, would you give them the strength? Would you give them the strength that they need to turn to you, to trust you, to walk with you? Would you give them the humility to let go of being in control, to let go of blaming themselves or blaming someone else or getting angry? Would you give them the humility to let that go and to trust you today? Lord, we ask for your spirit to move, to heal us, to draw us closer to you this morning. We ask you to do that this morning in Jesus' name. Amen.
Would you stand? And as we worship, just take this opportunity to allow the Lord to speak to you and to give over that pain that you may be carrying. Or, again, if you came in with a joy and a blessing, to make sure that you are giving the proper praise and honor to God in the midst of that. Let's sing and worship together.